Yo, 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 it's Friday. And let me turn down the TV. Boston Skinny House sells for above asking price, 1.25 million. This house is barely wider than a doorway, but it's it's a house that's been around since the Civil War. It doesn't look that bad. I mean, it's, look at that kitchen. That's wider than any apartment you're going to get in uh, Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan. That's not so bad. But it's a historic site. It's a great spot. 1.25 million. I don't know that that seems all that high. I mean, it's a you know, a million dollars is a lot of money for anybody or most people. But uh okay, good. You got yourself the skinny house. It's fun. It's fun for you. I wish I had the skinny house because then I could sing fat guy in a skinny house. Fat guy in a skinny. All right, forget it. All right. Leave me alone, all right, will you? Hey, so listen, last night they made the announcement. I don't think I was too far off. Uh, during the halftime of the football game, the big-time football matchup between the Washington so-and-sos and the New York Giants, that should be their name. Seriously. Because there's no stupider name than Washington football team. I mean, their former name was a terrible name. <laughs> it was really, truly a horribly offensive name. It's not even like, you know, there's there's debate over like, oh, man, you know, using... Uh, using the names of Native American tribes for your school team or a mascot and things like that. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, okay, the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, are there any, are there any like tribal chiefs in any uh, Native American, uh, you know, reservations or communities or anywhere that are getting some kind of compensation for using a name and like, I mean, how do you figure that out? I don't know. The Washington name was just straight up like it wasn't even, hey, you have Florida State Seminoles. Okay. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's offensive or not. I'm not Native American. I don't, it's the name of a tribe and I'm not, I'm just some asshole. So I I don't know. But I do know that Redskins is a horribly offensive name and they kept it around. Wasn't it, it was what, last year they got rid of it? If I'm not mistaken, wasn't it 2020? I think, I think as recently, I, I believe 2020 season was the first time that they were just known as the Washington football team, which that's a horrible name. A million times better than the Redskins though. But it's just, it's crazy to think that that was, that was an American f- football team name was just called the Redskins for the, uh, that's crazy. That's crazy. Until, until a year ago, year and a half ago, whatever it was. Anyway, the Washington football team, yeah, they should call it the Washington so-and-sos. I think that's, you know, and the, the so-and-sos are headed to the Super Bowl. That's fun. I think that's fun. All right, uh, enough about that. I, I don't know. I, I have no I have no real interest in, like, discussing if a team name is insensitive. And not, and not in an insensitive way, but in a way that I'm not qualified to say. I, I feel like they, on my honest opinion... As you know, as just some jackass, they should all change those names. Like, yeah, Braves, Chiefs, fucking I mean, Cleveland Indians. Uh, I you know, let's see. A, they're not Indian. Is uh, I think we've well established that a long time ago that they're not Indians, Native American. Uh, as a friend of mine used to say, first American. 
you know, whatever. Okay. So there's uh, to me all those baseball and football teams uh, that have any any name that that relates to you know some some kind of relation to Native Americans who we kind of have a history of fucking over in this country. Um, you know, and then and then knowing that these people, <laughs> you know, there's billionaires making making millions and millions off the name and likeness of a Native American caricature or a likeness or whatever you want to call it. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, some of these are like, I want to say the Cleveland Indians mascot. I mean, that is a caricature, if I'm not mistaken. Like a, a pretty fucking offensive drawing. I Right? Am I right? I could just look it up. I have, I ha- I have a computer. I'm actually holding it in my hand and talking into it. And it can tell me things that I want to know. Uh, you know what? Why don't I just do that? Let's see. Cleve, as I just said, as I just said, I'm not going to talk about this. And now I'm talking about this. Well, I think, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who is this? Who is this? Uh, yeah. They, yeah. That's, that's insane. And I, I'm pretty sure they changed it, but that's insanely offensive. I mean, that's just a, are you paying anybody to use that likeness? Are there like, are there millions of dollars being funneled through to Native American tribes and Native American citizens? <laughs> anyway, my take is that they should all, you know, certainly the name of the Cleveland Indians is insanely stupid and should go. And I think they should all, they probably, there's probably a lot of team names that should go. Starting first and foremost with the, with the, with the Native American related names. They're just, and they're just, you know. It's, it's idiotic. Anyway, <clears throat> but I don't want to speak on it because I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't, I, whatever. I don't know. I, I think it's dumb. It's just old-timey and dumb. Anyway, football, the National Football League in the halftime game, they announced that, indeed, hard knocks for the first time ever, and not next year. I thought this would be something that they're announcing. Okay, starting next year, we're going to do a f- season of hard knocks, not just the preseason. They announced that this season they're going to hard knocks is going inside the Indianapolis Colts season starting in November. The first episode is going to air like November something, seventeenth, I want to say. So, so I guess I, I kind of yeah I guess I was I mean I, I, <laughs> yay congrats to me I predicted the thing that was pretty obvious that they were going to announce. Some people are saying, I think the announcement is going to be that they're moving the show from HBO Max to Amazon Prime. Like, that's, nobody gives a shit. They're not going to have an announcement for that. That's almost as dumb as having an announcement that they're going to cancel the series. NFL ain't canceling shit. They didn't cancel football games when entire teams had COVID last year. NFL doesn't cancel anything that's going to make them a shit ton of money. Which, by the way, is everything the NFL does makes them a shit ton of money. So, hard knocks going going in season with the with the Colts. That's cool. I would have preferred, frankly, I would just prefer. I, I, I would would have wanted them to go and follow the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because I, who knows? We say this. Who knows how much Tom Brady has left? But he probably will be the first quarterback. You know, the first seventy year old quarterback winning a Super Bowl. He'll probably. I will probably be literally on my deathbed watching Tom Brady win a Super Bowl. Even though he's like three years older than me, 
and that's just i mean in in biological years <laughs> i am i'm i'm probably 70 years older than he is so anyway uh <laughs> so the hard knocks is going to be in in with the colts I wish, just like I said, I wish they could do something like that with the NBA and follow the current Lakers team to see, you know, to see the big names, to see the old geezers getting on that team together. And I'm sure it's going to be, it's just going to be fascinating, no matter what. If they're really good, if they're really bad, if they're mediocre, it doesn't matter. It's going to be, because anything less than perfection (laughs) with that, that team of grizzled, living legends and superstars and so you know future hall of famers and all this stuff anything less than a championship is a complete failure so that's great so either you're going to follow the team the dream team the all-star team that's going to go the best team money can buy kind of that's the oldest team money can buy that's going to go win the nba championship and that's a great documentary or you're going to follow the team <laughs> the most mediocre team that money can buy and they don't win the championship and it's a disaster and it's going to be documented and that's great and that's what i wish they would do with the tampa bay buccaneers not because i think that's going to happen but imagine if they followed them last year like nobody i didn't think tom brady was going to show up in tampa and then just go win a super bowl a few months later i me somebody who has lived in new england for the last six years who's been Who's from New York? So we got you know most of the Patriots games on Sundays because even New Yorkers didn't want to watch <laughs> the Jets and the Giants. Oh well, the Giants were good during that time. It was it was Giants and Patriots back in the, you know, the mid the mid aughts when it was you know Eli and and Tom in those Super Bowls. Eli Manning the uh, the only one who could slay Tom Brady and the Patriots. Well, until the Eagles came along a couple years ago. I prefer not to speak of uh, any of those things. But nevertheless, I, that would have been what a cool thing to have a documentary of last year. This friggin' guy, after all the stuff he's done, and he should, for all intents and purposes, he probably should have been retired. Just from an age perspective, Tom Brady should have been retired probably two or three years ago. And he's not only not retired, but he just won a Super Bowl. By the way, he just won a Super Bowl with the Patriots uh, in 2015. In 2017, in 2019, lost the Super Bowl in 2008. He was at four Super Bowls in his final years from 2015 to the 2019 season. I mean, are you kidding me? He was, and he was, and they were still in the playoffs. They lost, I think, to Tennessee in 2020. Tom's uh, Brady's last game with the Patriots, January of 2020. And, uh, But still, like you think, oh, oh, please, he's just going to – Tom Brady, he's the greatest of all time. But is he really just going to go to this brand new team, brand new everything, and just go and win a Super Bowl? Yes. Yes, he is. Yes, that's what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, but can it happen two years in a row? Yes, probably. (laughs) It's entirely possible. (laughs) It's quite likely. He looks better than ever. He's got all the same people as last year. Everything's the same. To me, that would be the great documentary to follow. But, eh, what a, you know, they have their reasons. And it, and it might be, yeah, Bruce Arians and Tom Brady might say, get the fuck out of here. Maybe it wasn't so much, I, I'm sure Belichick, you know, you're never going to see hard knocks as the Patriots while Belichick's running things. And maybe it wasn't just Belichick. Was, I'm sure. I'm sure Brady probably said the same thing too. Like, yeah, I don't fucking want these guys following me around. Tom Brady's not a guy who wants to give you 
much of himself, the real Tom Brady. Him, you know, he did the the Facebook thing with his family, but that was, you know, that was under his his controlled environment and all that stuff. He did an interview with Howard Stern. I think I already said this. It's like Howard Stern can take anybody. Even you look at Howard Stern and say, "Oh, who is he interviewing today?" Uh, I'm not really that interested in this person. I'm not interested in their music. I'm not interested in their shows. Whatever, whoever it is, you'll listen to the interview and be completely fascinated with everything. You're hanging on every word. So that's what Howard Stern does. Me, as a Tom Brady fan, as a Patriots fan, <laughs> I don't particularly love Tom Brady, the person. He's not somebody that I'd be like, "Yeah, let's hang out, dude." Um. Because he's a fucking weirdo, but I was like, "Oh God, Tom Brady's going to be on Howard Stern. This is going to be uh, now. We're going to like now we're getting somewhere, and we really didn't. We didn't really get that much. It's you know, okay, we heard Tom Brady swear. Oh my God, Tom Brady swears. That's crazy. Well, watch any football game. Watch him on the sidelines. Of course, he swears. He's got he's got to temper that TB, that TB twelve. So, okay, but we're going to get the, the Colts and, uh, and go inside. Who cares? The best team, the worst team, the middle team. Having that, having that access, that NFL documentary crew there makes it just so interesting. It doesn't matter. They make preseason interesting. Hard Knocks only follows up until this point, only follows the preseason. One team during the preseason, and it's always fascinating because it's human beings. And you're seeing a little more of that side. And that's interesting. It's not always interesting. They're not all... <laughs> pro athletes are not all that interesting. But they, when you got a bunch of them together, and they're all trying to win, and they all have very different personalities, and some have very big personalities, most have very big personalities, and you've got these crazy you know, coaches and stuff. It's great. It's fun. Uh, I wanted to say also, we've been watching... Uh, uh, the what, what, what the hell is it called? It's called uh, Lula Rich on Amazon Prime. I would normally not care, but I I don't know. I get these kind of these these turn off your brain type documentaries where you just you just watch you just watch a really big thing implode. Those are always you know that Nexium documentary. It was only like five or six episodes. I was more fascinated in seeing the scenery of Clifton Park and the greater Saratoga area, greater Albany area, in that Nexium uh, documentary. I think it was on HBO last year, about a year ago. The crazy, the crazy cult leader who <laughs> was just right there in Clifton Park and was expanding his cult all over the world and his weird sex stuff and branding women with a... Oh, my God. It's just crazy. It's that's it's always fascinating to me. Having been, having never been in a cult, but having seen organizations that certainly have all the all the checklists, all the makings, you know, which is in sales. Like you have to if you're if you're a salesperson working for a big sales organization. That's that's huge. It's making millions upon millions upon millions of dollars every month, every year. You have to to because in order to buy in and be a good salesperson, you have to be sold yourself on the shit that you're going to sell to somebody else. And if you're not on board with that, you're going to fail. 
which is why <laughs> as good as those Cutco knives were, once I realized, oh, shit, I, uh, I get it. They brought me in just to sell this shit to my family and friends and make a bunch of money for them and make a good amount of money for myself in a short amount of time. And then they're going to, and then I'm, and then I got nothing to do unless I just get really into this, uh, you know, Adam, who was my boss, who, who was like a cult leader, the way that he would talk, he would pick up the phone and go, Victor, Johnny, my man, you are going to have an awesome day. You are going to have a grand day. He would talk to me on the phone. I've, t- I've, this is in a previous podcast. This Adam Wilner, who I report when I briefly sold Cutco knives as a young 19 year old, Adam, one time I, uh, you know, I had a day where I didn't make any sales. I didn't sell any knives or I didn't meet my quota. And he called me on the phone and he's like, Johnny, my man, I want you to go. Are you at home right now? Go look in the mirror. You know, you have a bathroom mirror? Like, yeah, I, like most houses, yes, I have a bathroom mirror. Well, my man, I want you to go look in that mirror right now, and I want you to say, I am awesome. I am going to have a grand day tomorrow. I'm go-, And I just started laughing. I'm like, you want me to yell, show me the money? You know, I was like kind of being a dick. <laughs> and he's like, yes, I want you to stand, stand up on a chair in your – it was ridiculous. I want you to yell, show me the money. You're going to have, I'm awesome. I'm going to have a grand day. And I'm like, dude, I'm not doing that. That doesn't work on me. I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, You know, "Ah, show me the money. I'm awesome. I I think I did something like that. I'm like, I can't, I can't be just, you know, you can't, (laughs) you you can't do that stuff to me. It doesn't work. I'm sorry. Commercials don't work on me. Like I'll get a jingle in my head or something. Okay. I don't remember what the hell it was for. I'll talk about like, oh, this commercial I saw, it was so funny. What was it for? I fucking, I don't know, a car? Health insurance? Uh, golf balls? I don't, I really don't know. Soup? Maybe it was for soup. I don't know. I just, you know, I see shit and I say, okay, I want this. You know, oh, they invented a phone that has a big giant screen on it and you can watch TV and and do all the other phone stuff, but you can also do Facebook, and you can do the internet, and you can do you can do anything. You okay? Well, that's something I want. I'm gonna buy one of those. I like that. I don't need a commercial for it. <laughs> oh man! But anyways, uh, but you know, working for Vector Marketing and trying to sell Cutco knives, it definitely had that because you you have to be you have to have you have to subscribe to the group think. You have to just be like in on all of this crap and you have to say like, yeah, okay, I'm down with all of this. Uh, You know, you get into the sales office and there's 20 other people and they're like chanting and they're banging a gong. Like when I sold those coupon cards door to door, hey, sir, would you like these coupons? Okay, that'll be $20. Oh, you don't want them? Oh. Well, why not? Oh, just because they give you coupons for free every day in the newspaper, eh, that doesn't mean anything. Why don't you pay? This is even better coupons. Pay $20. You pay $20 for these coupons, you get a free oil change. Yeah, but an oil change costs like $20. Yeah, exactly. So it's a free oil change, and then you've got some other coupons for like a tire or something. 
10% off a tire. That's great. I, I don't know why those door-to-door coupon salesman businesses are no longer in existence. I just don't understand why. <laughs> but you had to be, you're not going to make it in, in a lot of those things if you're not just completely, you know, strip down your individuality while also while also th- being presented with the illusion that you are being your own individual person. You're kind of not. Be your and be yourself. Be your you know. Let your personality shine, but also do all of the things that are in this script that you need to st- make sure you touch on when you're doing a demo of your knives or when you're holding a coupon in front of somebody's a stranger's face as you've just entered their screen porch, their front porch, and you're trying to get you are trying to take twenty dollars out of their pocket so that they will take this coupon card. It's, it ain't easy. Some people have that gift, and they have to be of a certain personality type and a certain mindset to be that salesman-y kind of thing. And there's a lot of cult-like shit that gets people to buy into being a good salesman and buy into that sales culture. And when I'm in a fucking sales office when I'm 19 and 21 years old selling Cutco knives and coupons door-to-door in those two respective summers, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a sales office in a little industrial park or in downtown Saratoga where you come in and people are they're all they all start speaking the same language like when I sold those coupon cards it was juice everything was juice you know somebody would come in at, at the end of the day at four o'clock we'd all I think by like four or five o'clock or whatever this fucking thing ugh. This day started at like 8 in the morning, and we'd have two hours of rah-rah sales mind manipulation bullshit and fucking juice and chanting and <laughs> and doing our little, uh, little you know, role-playing of like, okay, uh, you, got, you pretend to be the customer, and you pretend to be the salesperson, and you're presented with uh, the customer as a wife who's just coming out of the shower, and she needs to pick up her kids, and she's in a rush, and now you have, you know, okay, I, fine. The role-playing I get because you practice for these real-life <laughs> real situations that you could encounter and how you could, how you could still make the sale. And, uh, but there's just like, you know, and, and you'd go out and you'd sell shit all day. And then you come back at five o'clock and then you'd have another like hour. It, it was, it was nighttime. And by the way, this is the middle of June, July when darkness doesn't happen until like nine thirty. And I remember sometimes leaving that sales office when it was dark out and I'd have, if I had a good day, I had maybe $35 in my pocket. $35 in my pocket, which I would go spend on beer and then go home and then have nothing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and people would come back. We'd all go out. We'd all get in cars. You know, if you if you watch that episode of The Office where they all go on sales calls and it's, you know, Michael teams up with Andy and Jim and Dwight and Karen and Phyllis and Ryan and Stanley. and they, That's what the coupon selling business was like. You'd just be teamed up with two or three randos, and you'd get in their car, and you'd go off, and you'd, you know, we had maps. Okay, you guys are going to take, here's where you're going to go today, and you guys are going to go, here's the neighborhood, uh, you're going to go, uh, you're going to go to Latham, and you guys are going to go to Troy, you guys are going to go up to Clifton Park, you guys are going to go out to East Greenbush, and this is the neighborhood here, 
uh, blah, 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 blah. And you go out and you just literally go door to door and try to sell these coupons. <laughs> and, and then we'd all come back at the end of the day. And if somebody sold a certain amount, they'd bang the little, not little, it was a humongous gong. It was a humongous, loud, obnoxious. So if somebody sold, I don't know, $100 worth, $1,000, I don't know what the, I don't know what was gong worthy. I never got to the gong. I never, I was never gong worthy. I think the best I did was I sold, I sold like two or three of them just purely by chance. And I think you got to keep like, well, if I, let's say, yeah, let's say I sold three. I think maybe the most I sold was five. I actually think I sold five. And I think that was the day that I, that I walked out of there with, uh, with $35. Yeah. Whoa. Hot dog. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was the best I ever did was I walked out with $35 one day. <laughs> and I thought, well, let's see now. <laughs> if I'm making 6 or $7 an hour working at a store for eight hours versus the 10 or 12 hours that I'm in this sales office and then drove, okay, I quit, I quit. And then I went and worked at Target for seven ten an hour in the electronics department. And it was so sweet and it was so easy. Yeah, there were busy fucking times, but it was so good. It was just a fucking who gives a shit job. It was so great, man. And I would just go home and, you know, I'd have money for booze. And uh, back in the, and back in that, that was the summer of 2001 that I worked at Target. I would carry around, because that was the year that I turned 21. I wasn't just buying beer. I was going home on the way home from work. I would stop at the liquor store I would get, I don't even remember what the hell I had, gin, vodka, and I would, I would get, I love, I love having a mixed drink, so I would go get, I would go get Tom Collins mix, and I would get all these, I had a backpack that was just a, it was just a portable bar, (laughs) and I would go to somebody's house, and we'd meet up, and I would just pull like, yeah, I would pull my bottles of liquor out of the backpack, and my mixers, my drink mixers. And my straws, I had a plastic, I had a, pl- a big plastic thing full of straws, like mixing sh- mixers, like stirrers and straws. And I had my <laughs> jar of maraschino cherries. <laughs> yeah, you know, just how, just how us college kids do things over the summer. That was, if you've ever seen the kids in the hall, girl drink drunk sketch, which is one of my favorite where the guy doesn't drink alcohol and his boss, you know, to celebrate the promotion, the boss takes him out and he's like, have a, have a scotch, Ray. Oh, sir, I, I don't drink. Oh, of course you drink. Everyone drinks. Uh, waitress, he'll have a chocolate choo-choo. Tastes like candy, Ray. And then he goes, uh, it's, it's very funny. But that was me in 2020, uh, in 2001, 20 fucking years ago. That's crazy. Stopping off. <laughs> after a long day of selling coupons or after a long day of selling cordless phones and TVs in the electronics department. And then I would stop off and get my little backpack and fill it with bottles of booze and mixers and maraschino cherries <laughs> and lemon and lime wedges <laughs> and go off to somebody's house and have a real good time. Mixing up those drinks. 
And the last time I the last time I mixed a drink for myself, I I really got into old fashions for a little bit when we lived uh, back there in North Carolina. And Cliffy and Jody and I, on occasion, we'd go over to this little hole in the wall, dark little pub, because everything in North Carolina, everything everywhere these days, the little fucking hole in the wall dive bars, you know, the hipsters have kind of ironically brought them back, I guess, but real actual hole in the wall. And I'm very happy because New England still has quite a few of them. They're disappearing at a rapid rate. Boston has them, Nashua. These old New England towns, these kind of, you know, old mill town, uh, you know, blue collar kind of things still have, there's still some beautiful bars that just, they're dark and they stink and they have wood paneling. Oh, it's, that's heaven. And I don't drink. I don't drink at all. I haven't had a drop of booze in almost three years. And uh, I'm not sure when the time will come that I, that I do again. I'm, I have no real desire to. I love getting a nice Shirley Temple with some maraschino cherries, but I love, uh, I love an old, just a, restaurants used to be dark. I love rewatching Mad Men this summer for the third time and just, you know, all these great sets that look like these old restaurants either in New York City or in LA or up in, you know, up in like upstate New York and the Catskills or the Adirondacks, wherever it's supposed to be. That's, you know, dark restaurants, a dark a dimly lit restaurant with some, you know, candles on the table and and dark. The walls are dark. I, I miss that shit. You still have them a little bit. Anyways, there was an old bar in North Carolina that pretty was very just small and dark. And it was just right on a street corner. And it didn't feel like North Carolina because everything else you go to is trendy and hip and bright and, you know, loud music and just, you know, cool kids with their, you know, coming off of, you know, white collar, button-down shirts with the tie off. They took the tie off and sleeves rolled up, having having their fucking craft beer and their hipster drinks. And I I just wanted to go and drink Old Fashions with Cliffy <laughs> at the, uh, whatever the hell it was called, the Gateway Pub. I can't even remember it anymore. There were two great places on that little street in Charlotte. I think it was on Trade Street. And one of them was a Greek place that made the best burgers and french fries. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't remember. It's something Little Village. The Village. Oh, my God. That's terrible. That's terrible. It's been six years. It hasn't been been like five decades. It's been a few years. I want to say it's a little village or little something, and then the and then the Gateway Pub, Gateway. I can't even remember this stuff. God damn! That's why I'm doing a podcast. My grand my grandparents had dementia, <laughs> so I don't need a crystal ball to know how things are going to wind up for old Johnny Boy. So I'll do this podcast when my mind is still kind of, sort of, still there, kind of. And, uh, and then that way I, you know, when I'm, when I'm 90, people won't have to ask me about stuff that I won't be able to remember at that point. Yeah. The village, I don't know. Anyway, fantastic Greek place. And right, right down the street on the corner was the little pub and we'd go there and we'd drink old fashions. Jody would get her drink. Cliffy and I would, uh, (laughs) we'd cling our glasses, our old fashions. And, uh, 
yeah, it was the best of times. And then I would, and that was, I would go to Target and get all the mixers and everything and get all the, all the accoutrement for the old fashioned. That was, that was the last mixture. When I turned 21, I was really into Manhattans. I, we'd go to Atlantic City and I'd get a bourbon Manhattan on the rocks. Everywhere we go, I get a Manhattan. And I fucking love those things. I had one a few years ago and I almost, <laughs> I almost vomited. Like, I drank these? Oh my God, it's, it's awful. And the same thing with an old fashioned. I hadn't, it, 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 that was the nice thing too. Like some of my final memories of my grandmother. And yes, I know, I'm, I'm all over the place. It's stream of consciousness. You just, I'm sorry. I don't, have a, I don't have an agenda anymore for the podcast. I just pick up the phone when a thought pops into my head and I start recording. Uh, I, I, it's, it's the way it is, guys. This is it. This is the new generation of my podcast. So anyway, I'll get back to the I'll get back to the LuLaRoe documentary at some point. I know that's where this started. <coughs> and cults and things like that and sales culture and whatnot. But uh, we've gone down this path now. And uh so the old fashioned was the last kind of mixed drink that I found myself enjoying. And in my my final years of drinking on a regular basis, like every single night. We would put the kids to bed, and Kimmy and I would just sit and we'd just guzzle wine, <laughs> watch TV, and uh, and that was it. Pretty much, pretty much seven days a week, and uh, and that got that that got very tiresome, very 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 tiresome. And uh, but for a while, I kind of got tired of the wine, but I, I've never been a beer person, and um, so I said, hey, yeah, you know, Don Draper. Drinks those old fashions. I wonder if they're and Cliffy. Cliffy was an old fashioned drinker, which makes perfect sense because again, Cliff, who has disappeared from social media, by the way, because I'm pretty sure he's gone back. He's gone back to whatever time he traveled from. My beloved Cliff, from the, I'm I'm fairly certain came here from the 1940s to make the world a better place, which he did. So he's a wonderful guy. You've you've seen him and you've heard him on this podcast before. He's tremendous. Just. Just as good a human being as you could ever hope to meet. And I'm sad that Cliffy's not on social media anymore. But nevertheless, we worked together. Uh, I did try to get Cliff fired because I thought he was too nice to be true and that he was out to get all of us. He was coming for all of our jobs. I actually thought in my mind that this one person who had already been hired for his job was coming after the rest of the team to get us all fired. Because that benefits him in so many ways. Because now he just has the same job and the same pay as before. But now he gets to do all of our work. Uh, it's crazy. If you want to know a little insight into my paranoid, fucking neurotic, asshole brain. There it is. The nicest human being perhaps that I've ever met. And I was I was the one. That's the irony too. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, this guy's trying to get us. Can't. I know he's, he's fucking... He's gunning for us, man. He's vicious. This Cliff, he's a threat to this whole team. Meanwhile, I'm the asshole talking to our manager about how Cliff isn't that good and probably doesn't belong on this team. Oh, my God. What a fuckhead. I'm sorry, Cliffy. I'm eternally sorry for being a total piece of shit. I'm not sorry for arranging the little footballs and things every morning before you got to work on your desk so they looked like balls and a penis. I will never apologize for that as long as I live. I will never apologize for uh, 
sending you little IM chats uh, telling you how horny I was. And I will not apologize for taking pictures of you from over the cubicle wall and then sending them to you and telling you to get back to work. Well, yes, again, ironically, I realized I was doing no work as I was peeking over the wall watching you uh, relax and chat on the phone with your wife or somebody and then texting you and saying, get back to work, you lazy asshole. <laughs> I'm sorry you ever had to fucking put up with me, dude. Ah, oh, man, Cliff, what a guy. What a fucking great guy. So anyways... Cliff was drinking one of them old fashions, man. Cliffy loved those old fashions. I said, that seems like a drink that I might enjoy. Uh, bartender, and at this little gateway village pub, whatever the fuck it's called, this little hole in the wall, dark, wonderful, wonderful little pub, uh, we, uh, they happened to have a guy, they said, yeah, we have a guy, this is his specialty. He makes the best old fashions on the planet. I said, great, I'll have one. And I don't have anything to compare it to. So, yeah, it was the first old-fashioned I ever had. So, sure, it's the greatest old-fashioned on the planet. And it was. It tasted delicious. I loved it. It was right before Christmas. I'm in the I'm filled with holiday cheer, about to have some vacation time. It's getting it's cold, which if you live in the South, like, I didn't even know the South got cold, but it does, which is nice. It's still not good enough because they don't get enough snow, but it's like, oh, I can roll down windows. I can like breathe. I don't have to blast the air conditioner everywhere. I'm not sweating. This is, I love it. This is fantastic. So just sitting with Cliff and Jody drinking old fashions, a holiday spirit. That was the last, like, that was the last mixture. And then I went and got all the stuff and I would go home and then I would just go home on nights that we didn't go to the bar. I would just come home and I would mix an old fashioned. And then my, my grandmother who was, you know, spent her final years, down south, living uh, just across the bridge, at a at a at a home in in South Carolina, uh, just to about ten minutes down the road. The kids and I would visit her every night. We stop at CVS and get a big bags of candy, and we just bring them. and She'd sit there and eat candy, and she would just throw candy to the kids who were playing on my my kids who were just playing on the floor, and we'd watch Family Feud <laughs> with Steve Harvey. I'm your man, Steve Harvey. Got a good one for you today. And uh, it was just the best. And then when grandma, great grandma, as we, we refer to her to keep things, uh, you know, make, make that clear. Because to my kids, she's great grandma, was great grandma, is always will be great grandma. We would have great grandma over for dinner on the weed, go someplace for, you know, somebody's house for dinner on the Sunday night, Saturday night, what have you, middle of the week. And I would say, hey, grandma, do you like old fashions? I think so. Okay. And I'd mix her up old fashioned. On Christmas Eve, she must have had like four old fashions. My dad was yelling at me. Your grandmother has dementia. Why are you giving her old? I'm like, yeah, because what's this going to do? She's not like coming back from. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to reverse it. She might as well have a big smile on her face. While she's, you know, not able to remember every single detail of her life. And she was still sharp enough. It's not like she didn't. You know, she never got to that point where she didn't know who we were. So, like, great. She knows who we are. She knows she's surrounded by loved ones. Let's get her drunk. We'll all get And great-grandma and I would get shit-faced together. Just like the old days when she lived in Clifton Park, and I would go over to her house, and Kimmy and I would go have dinner, like, on a Wednesday night, and we'd sit and we'd watch Jeopardy, 
<laughs> we'd watch Wheel of Fortune, and we'd drink wine, and uh, great grandma would have her, uh, uh, her whatever, whatever the fuck it is, the the, the vodka and tonic, the, the clear, the clear stuff, which I hate. I hate gin. I hate vodka. Those were her kind of drinks. She'd, and sometimes she'd have some wine with us. Sometimes we all drink a nice big glass of wine. It's a great time. That's what you do. Have fun. Life's short. Fuck it. So Christmas Eve uh, 2014, I got my grandmother good and drunk on old fashions. And then, and then she died in 2018, uh, in April of 2018. And then in August of 2018, we had the memorial service for her. And went out to a nice dinner at one of my favorite restaurants and also a restaurant which I have countless, countless, countless memories with my grandmother, which is Ravenswood, Ravenswood Pub in Clifton Park. My, maybe my favorite restaurant. I, well, it's up there. It's up there. Uh, anyway, again, perfect example, the, the main dining room, the original dining room. It's dark. <laughs> there's dark wood chairs. There's old tables. It stinks. And the food's great. And it's always packed. And it's fantastic. It's, that's exactly, that's just all I want from restaurants. I want them to look like that. And I hate this modern, new, light, fucking open, high ceilings bullshit. I hate that. Anyway, uh, I had an old-fashioned, in honor of my grandma, we left one one chair empty at the at the end of the table, and uh, and I had an old fashioned, and it had been <laughs> it was the first time in about three years that I had an old fashioned, and I fucking I had a couple sips, and I said, "Oh my god, this is disgusting," <laughs> which could have been a combination of a very busy restaurant, and they didn't have time, and the, the bartender said, "Somebody wants a fucking old fashioned. Nobody's ordered that in forty years. Who the hell is getting this shit?" And then just, you know, whip something together that tasted like garbage. Or it had been, it had been, Jesus, I don't even know, three or four years since I had had one. And uh, lost my taste for them. And that was, I think that was the second to last alcoholic beverage I had. And then I had a glass of wine right before Christmas later that year. And then that was it. Anyway, back to the original. <laughs> this has nothing to do with anything. Uh... But back to the the original piece, uh, how I got on this track about yeah getting getting mixed drinks after leaving the the sales jobs and uh, and having a backpack full of full of mixers, um, yeah those sales jobs I couldn't do it because I couldn't like I couldn't walk around you, these guys we come back from selling coupon cards they come back to the sales office and they bang the gong. <laughs> Had the big sale, oh, everybody's great, and somebody would bang the gong. Somebody would bang the gong, and everybody would cheer, and they'd all go juice, juice. <laughs> and then the fucking sales manager, who I don't know what the hell he, I think he just what a fucking scam. I think he just sat there all day. This guy probably figured out some kind of way to just buy a. Hey, we're gonna get a bunch of coup. We're gonna get get together with some local businesses, put together these coupon cards. Minimal amounts to to mass print these things at like a Staples or something, and then we're gonna hire a bunch of dipshits from college to go around the entire area and sell these fucking things. 
Excel Adcom was the name of it. And this guy with his fucking hairpiece, who seemed, frankly, kind of socially inept. So I think he just sat at his desk all day. I think he just had, I think he and the other, the other two little, like, buddies of his, I think they probably just sat there laughing their asses off all day. Like, these, we've got these morons running around this whole area trying to sell a f- piece of cardboard with a bunch of crap on it. <laughs> For 20 bucks and they're doing it and they're, they're just gonna they're gonna give us a big chunk of that by just sitting here doing nothing it's great everything's a fucking pyramid scheme uh yeah but you come how much did you sell uh, i sold uh i sold eight car juice juice yeah and in the morning we'd all we'd all go <laughs> we'd all go out to this like it was this old i mean it's in this like industrial park in latham new york there's like a UPS facility and there's like a manufacturing and all this stuff. And then there's this sales office in the middle, really like Dunder Mifflin, like this sales office in the middle of this like warehouse district and uh, manufacturing district and all this other stuff. And we'd leave the sales office and then we'd go out to those. It was like a garage, like a, like a warehouse. It was a warehouse, the big garage. And we'd all stand in a circle and we're like... We're like, yeah, yeah. And, then, and I remember one kid was like break dancing, and then he fucking tripped and fell and he landed on all my coupon cards and he crumbled them. And I'm like, what the fuck? I can't sell these now. They're all crumbled. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. And then he got back out and was like break dancing. I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? And then I, I think I just was like, all right, I'll go and sell some of these things. I, my biggest regret is that I didn't just. <laughs> I should have just like in the middle of it, there's nothing that would have stopped me. I could have me now at the age of 41 would have no problem doing this. Me at the age of 21, I was too nice of a guy. And, you know, there was a day where I said, oh, I'm I'm just going to quit this thing. But instead it was a Friday. I'm like, eh, I'll go sell a few of these coupons and then I'll, and then I just won't come back. And then I think the next, I think the following Monday I went and like, I put a fucking note on the door and said, hey, sorry, I'm, it's John, I quit. Because I just, uh, I, I, I got there early one day to quit. And then they pulled me into like the manager's sales office to like, hey, let's talk strategy for selling coupon cards today. I'm like, oh, no, I'm, but actually, I'm, actually, I got to go because I, I'm, uh, I haven't told you this yet, but I don't work here anymore. And then I was like, and then before I knew it, I'm out like in the fucking garage with everybody breakdancing and yelling, juice, juice, juice. Who let the dogs out? Juice, 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 juice. And then uh, and then I'm in my car going to some fucking shitty neighborhood with a stack of cardboard underneath me to try and sell. So then I said, okay, well, I have to get here even earlier. I and I think I think just like later that night I went back and just taped a note on the door and said, Hey, it's John, I quit. Bye. Um, which was more than they deserved. But anyway. It's, it's just such a weird, and I know that's not how it is with everything, you know, but because I haven't been in every sales environment that there is, but I know this it's high pressure because if you're not selling anything, then you can't work there. And if you're going to work there, you have to sell shit. And if you're going to sell shit, you have to be sold on whatever it is that you're selling, the product, the idea, the service the benefits, everything, every piece of this product, you need to be fucking, 
orgasming over how great this product is so you can go and sell it to some other asshole. So this Lou, Lula Rich, it's just, I can't, you know, I'm a sucker for these kinds of things. So this Lula Rich is about that Lula Row, which was, uh, I don't know, maybe it still exists. I guess it does. If you think back to, let's say, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, I don't know. Go back about three, four, five, six, seven years. Go on, go on your Instagram feed, and you just see, you would see it. I didn't know what the hell it was. I would see people, friends on Facebook, friends on Instagram, strangers on Facebook, strangers on Instagram, and they would have the most hideously ugly, disgusting-looking, garbage fucking stretch pants is what they are. They're just hideous with every pat with all patterns infinite kinds of patterns and designs colors that just looked like somebody you know that looked like a fucking bozo the clown vomited on every pair of pants it really it looked like fucking circus clown idiot pants and i'm sorry if anybody's listening if you wore this shit you look like fucking an idiot and i say this as somebody who until like three years ago was still wearing cargo shorts so I know that I'm not the one to talk about how anybody looks, but guess what? I'm going to talk about how you looked in LuLaRoe <laughs> fucking pants. You looked about the same as I looked in 1991 wearing skids every day. You remember skids? Except the difference was I was 11 and I didn't know shit, so I would put on my hypercolor shirt that changed color when I would put my hands on it, which I still think is kind of a rad idea. Those should come back. I would love to have a hypercolor shirt. Anyway, I'd wear my skids with all the different designs and little fucking geometric shapes and little splotches of color. And Oh, they were the stupidest skids and zubas. The crappiest pants ever until the LuLaRoe leggings came around five or six years ago. And, and that's what you'd see on social media is these horrendous looking pants that all these women would wear <laughs> with their little splotches of color and just all this crap. And and you start watching this documentary, and it was a pyramid scheme, just like all the other bullshit that's out there. And they would so the, the head of, of LuLaRoe bought, you know, went to some, I don't know, fucking, uh, uh, what do you call those? Like a flea market or some such bullshit one day. And this guy was selling all this pretty nice clothing but he was selling it for nothing and so she figured out a way to be able to like you know hey let's let's partner up here and we'll sell this shit for a ton of you you know this is so marked down we could sell this shit for a ton of money and then eventually blah 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 it morphed into uh these shitty stretch pants and when the documentary the first episode is starting and they're showing previews of it and they're showing like ripped pants and they're showing designs which is like a a fucking bumblebee going into the crotch area of the pants and somebody's talking about how they had a whole shipment of they had a whole, a whole shipment of of stretch pants that smelled like farts and that their whole house just smelled like farts for weeks and weeks <laughs> it's ridiculous uh so i said okay i'm i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to watch this and i bet the kids i know kimmy's going to want to watch this i know the kids will 
Because Kimmy, I remember when everybody was wearing LuLaRoe and Kimmy would say, those are the dumbest looking pants. You like, <laughs> We both just sit there and say, what kind of asshole puts these pants on? They look so stupid. And they're just hideous. Whatever. If it's comfortable, great. Get yourself some. But the whole, this whole company. And I remember, you know, when I sold Cutco Knives, I had to pay, I don't know, 100 bucks to get the demo kit. They didn't just give that to you. They sold you the demonstration set of knives that you would have to take to your demos to then sell, to then try and sell knives to people. So I had to, you have to buy in. I mean, just like any business, you have to buy in. If you're going to, you know, a franchise, you know, all these things require some kind of buy-in. People aren't just going to give you their, <laughs> people aren't just going to give you their business for free and let you profit off it. So I get it. But the thing about these pyramid schemes is that you buy the product and then you try to get as many people underneath you as your sales team so that then they buy the product from you and then it just keeps going and going and going. And even if nobody really, yeah, maybe you sell some pants to some people. I mean, the pants were very popular, so they were they were selling. But the people at the bottom of the period, pyramid who don't have a team underneath them, they're not going to make shit. They're going to spend a ton of money and get very little in return, and it's going to be the equivalent of me uh, on a good day walking out of that coupon card sales office with 35 bucks in my pocket to go buy some some beer and a pack of cigarettes. Uh, these Cutco, my Cutco knives, like I said, it cost maybe, maybe a hundred, maybe $200 to buy the, I I don't remember. It was, you know, it was a lot for me, but not a, not a crazy amount, not amount, not an amount that's going to put people in, put me in any financial dire straits. These LuLaRoe pants, these, these women, and there's all these testimonies there. It it costs a minimum, a minimum of $5,000 to buy these boxes of pants and you didn't know what pants it was all random these patterns they would just make patterns and like whatever you get it's like pokemon cards you pay a bunch of money and you don't know what you're getting and then you open it okay there you go it's baseball cards pokemon card whatever so you buy these pants and then you get hey let's and then they have parties little uh pants party (laughs) And they'd have all their friends and people come over and then say, hey, you could sell the, you know, either, hey, I'm going to sell you a bunch of these pants or better yet, I'm going to bring you in under me and then you're going to pay $5,000. You're going to pay me $5,000 and I'm going to get to keep a bunch of that. And so it's it's just the classic thing where there's a few people at the top who are making like, you know, 70K a month and all this stuff. And then it all it all bottoms out because the pants are crap. And they smell like farts. And it's, uh, you know, I, I love it. And the people who run the company are complete pieces of shit. They're these just evangelical fucking Mormon assholes. She is every bit, you know, if you went to a police sketch artist and said, hey, uh, a Karen just stole my car and had to sketch what the average Karen looked like. This is this this woman who is the head of who founded LuLaRoe, the, you know, the big blonde poofy hair jewels everywhere on her finger you know every every time she blinks her eyes you hear the clanging of all her jewelry and just a horrible personality not a you know and the and the husband is even well he's not worse but he's he's equally as bad and they and and you're watching this thing and these women are giving their testimonials and they're saying yeah uh i got to a point where 
<laughs> I'm I'm standing at these at these sales conventions and the and the husband is quoting Bible scripture and I and people have their hands in the air and everybody's you know crying and all this stuff and I and, and I realized like oh my god I'm in a cult. Yeah, no shit. That's <laughs> that's what a lot of this stuff is. And it's it's not really a fascinating it's not you know, I, I just watched it's quite the juxtaposition having spent last weekend uh, immersing myself in uh, September 11th, the National Geographic documentaries that are on Hulu, which are just so heartbreakingly good. Um, just just incredible. And these, these tales, you know, just, it's just such a horrible, tragic event. And blah, blah, blah. We know how awful 9-11 is. We, we don't need to talk about that. But, you know, so many stories of of bravery and and heroes emerging and saving lives that would have otherwise been lost and you know some some nice as horrible as it is there's always some nice stories to go along with tragic events and there's good stories about good people helping to save people and it's just it's wonderful it's still hard to watch and it's heartbreaking and i don't watch a lot of that stuff because i can't um but I just I did last weekend I wanted to and I did, and uh, and then going from this to these fucking uh, soulless pieces of shit selling garbage fart pants and, and making billions of dollars on a pyramid scheme, it's quite infuriating in some ways. But it's also uh, you know it's I, I don't like to watch these women be swindled out of all this money to buy into a, a crappy business. But I do like when a crappy business that sells a garbage product uh, goes out of business. Um, but anyway, but then I was, it was funny because I was thinking about <laughs> uh, very, very briefly. Uh, I, I, my, my dad met somebody who was like, hey, I'm in this business. You know, you could, you could work. And this is in the, this is like 90s. This is in the 90s. Nobody, you didn't have the internet. So like the notion of a pyramid scheme wasn't like, it was known, but it, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't know anything about it. So so my dad bought into this business where you could sell these, uh, <laughs> these like strips, these magnetic pads that basically were supposed to alleviate pain. And I don't remember the name of it. I don't remember anything about it. But I just know one day my dad had all these boxes. And I, I came home from school and I'm like, I'm going to lie down on the couch. I have a headache. And my dad's like, oh. And I said, I came home and I was like, hey, where's the whatever? Where's the Tylenol or the Excedrin or the Aleve or whatever it was that we had? I have a headache. My dad's like, ah, don't need that. I've got something even better. I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, I, this is a... Uh, this is a new little part-time business I'm doing. I'm going to sell these. This is the this is the next thing in pain relief. Okay, what is it? It's like, well, it's these uh, it's these like armbands and headbands, uh, and you put it on your head and it gets rid of your headache. And I'm like, how? Oh, magnets. Like, what do you mean magnets? Well, this <laughs> this pad has magnets in it, and the magnets are going to get rid of your headache. I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah. He's like, duh, duh, duh. don't worry about the. You don't need the Tylenol right now. We'll we'll put that so we can throw out the Tylenol. And I'm like, well, I don't think we should do that quite yet. 
go, go, go lie down on the couch and I'll get you, just lie down. I'll, I'll, I'll close the curtains and make it nice and dark. And here, put this, put this on your head. I'm like, what is this? It's a magnet pad. I'm like, and this is going to, this is going to cure my headache. Yep. Your headache's going to be gone. Just, just leave this magnetic pad on your head and your headache will be gone. And so I sat there on the couch in an immense amount of pain. And of course, nothing happened. And I'm like, and then my, I'm like, can I please have some Tylenol? He's like, sure. Take some Tylenol, but leave the magnetic pad on your head because it's going to do the trick. You wait and see. So I took some Tylenol. And then of course, my headache went away. And I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling quite a bit better. And he's like, yeah, see? The magnets. The magnets cured your headache. I'm like, I don't think the magnets had much to do with my headache going away. I don't think, I, I don't know much about magnets. I'm no, I'm no magnetic scientist. I'm no magnetologist. But I don't think the magnets are curing what ails me right now. I don't think the magnets are doing much of anything except being magnets. And I think my dad was in this for like two weeks. <laughs> I think my dad was doing this as long as I sold for about as long as I sold Cutco knives. But it was just the funniest thing he had. And he didn't have this huge giant supply. I don't it's it's not like LuLaRoe, give me your give me your life savings and I'll give you a box of fucking fart pants. It was like uh you know, give me give me a couple hundred bucks and I'll give you a a, a case of uh <laughs> I'll give you a case of magnets. <laughs> That's what it was. Here's some magnets. Go sell, go sell them. Go bring go, at least like at least with the modern day pyramid schemes. Okay, pants and and the women women were going crazy over these Lularoe pants. So okay, and it's like health and beauty stuff, right? It's it's our bone or it's whatever the other things are called. And uh, like okay, at least like I get it. It's not for me. But yeah, that's a product that lots of people buy. Creams and ointments and makeup and moisturizers and health and beauty stuff. Like, okay, well, I can see how that could be something that you'd want to sell because it's something that you like and you're going to use. And if you really like the product, you sell it to other people. Okay, I get that. But man, oh man, <laughs> magnets. That's a tough one. Hey, I've got, uh, oh, hey, you need some really good moisturizer. You need some really good shampoo, some skin cream, uh, you know, various different kinds of makeup. Yeah, everybody, everybody loves that shit. Well, I, I'm having a party. You can come over and like, you can, you can look at all the, all the great products I have. It's awesome. Who's going to, what kind of thing are you going to do to, uh, hey, I'm having a magnet party this Thursday. You want to come over? <laughs> Before you before you stop by, could you bang your head against a brick wall ten times? So that way you're in a great deal of pain. And I can try to cure you. <laughs> I can try to cure you with these magnet bracelets. And magnet headbands. Yeah. Put your fist through a wall. <laughs> Just punch punch some sheetrock. Until your knuckles are bleeding. And then I'll wrap this magnet band-aid around your fingers. And then you'll just be waving money in my face to come in on this business. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. <laughs> it's not funny until you say it out loud. It was a very, very short-lived. 
<laughs> because really, my dad is the kind of person who wants to help other people. And he met this guy who was kind of like, you know, a, a smooth talker, but also, you know, he was, he was bouncing, he was at the bouncing back, the rebound point of his life where he had hit rock bottom. And he was, I think, trying to climb out of a, out of a rut. And part of this was that he was selling magnets <laughs> and he wanted my dad to come in on the magnet business, the booming magnet business, uh, the booming magnet pain relief business. Before the, before there was icy hot, there was the magnet magnet band. <laughs> uh, my dad just being a you know a as as pure and decent and kind a person as he is as anyone you've ever met. That was really more you know my dad wasn't going to go piss away money on some silly silliness, but I think he thought okay, it's a minimal investment. It'll help this guy get back on his feet, get back started with his life again. And, and, uh, yeah, man, I'll make, uh, make, make some bucks, maybe selling some magnets, see if I can get friends to sell magnets. And then, yeah, I think he was in that maybe a, maybe a month tops. I don't even think it was that long, but, but then for the longest time, we just had a bunch of magnets lying around. So people would come over to the house and, uh, we'd be like, Hey, you have any aches and pains? You want to try it? Hey, look, we got a magnet for you. Uh, yeah, and then I and then during this time though, I remember going to the uh, to the Albany Plaza, the Empire State Plaza in Albany, and they have the convention center there, and uh, they had like a whole. It was basically a whole pyramid scheme convention, like every. I, I don't think that was the official name. I'm sure it was the you know uh, chamber of commerce businessman some fucking thing, but. Every table, every booth, every kiosk in this convention center had some asshole selling some crap-ass product trying to get people to come in and sell the product with them. Because I remember going over to this lonely old guy sitting at a table off in the corner with a suit that was three sizes too big that was, uh, you know, from the 1940s. And uh, and this, this guy is just the saddest little figure I've ever seen. Nobody was, you know, my dad... My dad was at the magnet booth getting all kinds of people like, wow, magnets cure headaches now? Hey, it was like, holy shit, this could actually, (laughs) my dad could actually make some serious bucks. Look at all the people swarming around this table, selling magnets, buying magnets. And uh, and then meanwhile, over in the corner is this little guy just, it was like Gil on The Simpsons, like, oh, geez, old Gil could sure use a sale. Gil's been down on his luck. They repossess my pants. If I if I miss the payment, they're gonna repossess my underpants. You know that kind of thing. And I walked over. I'm like, what? And he had nothing. There was like no, like what is this? And it was like a picture of a satellite dish, or he had like a satellite dish set up on his table. I'm like, what? What are you doing? He's like, oh, I sell satellite dish uh, TV. I sell I sell satellite dishes. And this was the mid '90s, and I was nuts. I wanted that RCA DSS satellite dish. I would, I would tape that infomercial at five in the morning and just watch it all day long, just dreaming about what it would be like to have. Oh my God! Can you imagine having an on-screen guide where you could see exactly what was on TV by just clicking a button on your remote instead of flipping through the channels and opening up the newspaper to see what's on TV? Could you imagine? You would just click a button. And it tells you what's on TV. Oh my god! And so, uh, I I wanted oh, I wanted it so I wanted satellite television so bad. I wanted to be able to watch 
East Coast shows and then watch the West Coast feed three hours later of the same thing. I wanted to be able to have two channels that were playing Garfield and Friends simultaneously. I wanted it all. I wanted the on-screen guide. So this guy, he's like, oh, yeah, I sell satellite dish uh, television. I'm like, oh, really? And he gave me his card and a piece of paper. And I'm like, I, I think I'm going to do this. I was like 15. Of course I'm not going to do this. I mean, there, nobody was going to let me do this. I'm like, I, I'm going to I'm gonna tell my parents. I'm like, I'm, I think I'm going to sell these satellite dish things. And because uh, I figured like, hey, I, I was so stupid. I didn't know how anything worked. I thought like, if I agree to sell these things, surely they will just give me satellite television for free if I'm a good little sales boy. And, and I also figured, well, I deliver newspapers <laughs> to, like, a lot of people. I deliver newspapers to, like, 100 houses. I don't think it was that many. 50, whatever. Uh, it was my entire neighborhood, save for one street. I said, I, I deliver newspapers. I can just get every customer on my delivery route to buy a satellite TV, to buy a satellite dish, and I'll be all set. And I didn't really think that through. Like, that's not ever going to happen. Um, although I did sell Cutco knives to several of my paper delivery customers. So who knows? Maybe I could have. Maybe I could have. I'm sure somebody in that neighborhood would have bought a satellite dish from me. But uh, luckily, I never, I never picked up the phone and called the guy. But he was, he was just the saddest fella. And he had his little, just sad little booth set up. And he probably died a week later. Except they had to, you know, put him in a, <laughs> like, put him in a dumpster because they repossessed the coffin. Oh, Gil's gonna, oh, God, oh, Gil just needs to make a sale. Anyway, uh, so yeah, the Lula Rich, we've, we're two episodes in. I think there's only four episodes, so it's not like, it's not a major commitment. And it's, uh, it's one of those, just turn off your brain and be able to feel better about yourself because other people have made mistakes. <laughs> much bigger mistakes spending $5,000 on fart pants and uh you know all you did was spend like <laughs> spend like 20 times that amount on college that got you nowhere anyway uh yeah lula rich and oh, man i tell you billions is back on only murders in the building is fantastic on hulu uh what are the sh- my, my kids have been watching lock and key it's not 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 my kind of show, but they enjoy it. That I think that's about a year and a half old on Netflix, but they're they're really enjoying it. It's eh, it's all right. Uh, what else? Over the summer or earlier in the summer, maybe in the spring, they watched Sweet Tooth on Netflix. That was pretty good. I think I've talked about that. Curb Your Enthusiasm is coming back at some point very soon. Succession has an official. I think October seventeenth is the return of Succession. Season three, finally, for the first time in two years. I can't believe it. Uh, what else? There's a lot of things. There's that Sopranos prequel movie that's uh, coming out soon. The new iPhone's coming out soon. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. There's some other shows. I, I know I'm forgetting a big one. Yeah, I don't know. Sunny in Philadelphia is coming back soon. I've mentioned that already. I've mentioned all of this. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, there's lots of TV. I've tried, um, I've tried Ted Lasso. Kimmy and I tried that. We watched the first episode when it first came out and I just, I'm like, what's, 
I, isn't this a comedy or where where the where's the laughter? When does that kick in? And I know first episodes are never never guaranteed to be home runs. But I've watched the second, I think the third episode, and I'm just like, I, what is, what am I watching? What is the, and I really like uh, one of the writers is Jamie Lee, who she was on, uh, she was on Crashing with, uh, with that guy, with Pete Holmes, which is a great three-season show on HBO, such a good show, such a good show. And she was, she was delightful on that. She's I, I love following her on social media. She's great. She's one of the writers of this Ted Lasso, and I just like it's not stupid writing. It's clever, but I'm just I don't know. Have I am I too old to get some of the jokes now? Like, and I know I'm not too old to get the jokes. I'm just like they're just they're such gentle family fun sort of not family fun, but they're just gentle. They're just kind and gentle jokes, and I know that's a big appeal of the show. Is he's supposed to be a you know a lovely sweet guy? I just man, some people, a lot of people love this show, but not every show is for every person. So I'm, I'll keep going a little bit more on Ted Lasso. I still need to finish Servant season two, which uh, came out this year. I, I've been waiting for the fall. It's such a great show to watch in the fall. So I'm excited. I'll be finishing that soon. Now that now that the leaves are starting to turn, and the, the days are getting cooler, uh, and then finally, man, Norm Macdonald. Are you kidding me? That's 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 not something we needed. Not this week. Not any week. Uh, I, I, the one good thing is being able to go back. I mean, what what do you do when somebody dies? Who's who's famous for their work in entertainment, you have hours and hours of material to watch. And there's our endless, you know, stand-up specials, late-night appearances, Saturday Night Live appearances. There's just so much of Norm MacDonald to go out on YouTube and Netflix and everywhere else and, and consume. He was great. We were telling the kids the other day because there was a great show that ended a couple years ago called The Middle, which was on ABC. I loved that show. Modern Family seemed to get all the attention. They both started at the same time. But I'll tell you, the middle, that I often found that was the funnier show. And, I, you know, I love the sort of believability of it, too, because it's, you know, similar to Roseanne or, like, a Malcolm in the Middle. It's, you know, Modern Family is, it's, it's a very funny show with rich people who live in very nice houses. Everything is clean and perfectly in place. And the middle looks like how actual humans live and you know the set is great because it's messy and there's you know just like Roseanne right Roseanne's house looked like a house that's been lived in and not so much a a a set Malcolm in the Middle was a very an even more exaggerated version of that where their house just always looked like a disaster but that's what that's what houses that's what human beings look like when you go into their house when they're not expecting you and uh and the middle was just a, a really funny show Really, really funny. And Norm Macdonald, he wasn't on a lot of episodes, but he was on quite a few as the, uh, as kind of the, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say losery uncle, but just kind of the, <laughs> the uncle who was always, he was always up to something. He always had a, a new scheme or a new something. And he was hilarious. He was Norm Macdonald. It was really funny. He played the brother of the dad on the show. And uh, that's, that's uh, kind of, I was, uh, Patricia Heaton, who was the mother on the show, she shared a clip 
uh, from an episode with with Norm Macdonald sitting around the table, and it's just he's just a riot. Everything he did fucking sucks that he's gone. And as somebody, I think, uh, oh gosh, I forgot the guy's name already. I, I'm so bad at uh, I'm so bad at names. He's um, Jesus. I, I'm completely blanking on his name. Sorry, dude. Uh, well, anyway, tweeted that <laughs> that not telling people he had cancer for the last 10 years and then suddenly dying of cancer is the most Norm McDonald thing I could possibly think of. Yeah. Oh, his name is right on the fucking tip of my... Uh, it's killing me. It's killing me. This guy's name. Oh, anyways... That's very sad. Norm MacDonald, he's, uh, yeah, the all-time, one of the true all-time greats. And, and of course, as, as nice a human being as you think that he is, when now that these stories, like Andy Richter had a great, um, Jeselnik, Anthony Jeselnik, that's who tweeted about, yeah, dying of cancer after not telling people he had cancer for 10 years. Is the most Norm Macdonald thing I could think of. Yeah, that was that was Jeselnik's tweet, and Andy Richter tweeted uh, that has sent a, a, a text message, shared a text message from his sister back in the you know during one of the iterations of Conan's show. I don't know if it was late night or one of the you know, uh, and Norm Macdonald was a guest, and Andy's sister happened to be visiting the show, and she was just kind of hanging out backstage, uh, you know. And Norm came up and introduced himself. And he's like, oh, you're Andy's sister. Oh, you know, and, and just kind of sat and talked with her. She's not a celebrity. She's nobody famous. He's just a nice guy who just liked to, you know, hang out. And he was sitting and chatting and just asking stuff about her life. And, and she said that nobody in the history of that show before or after ever came up to her and wanted to have any kind of conversation. And Norm was the only one. And then you see people on Twitter who had little uh, tweets or messages from Norm, you know, asking about their comedy and, hey, how did you come up with that? And, hey, have you ever thought of trying this and, and coming up with just a, a, an even funnier line than anything that they, you know, or, or as funny or funnier than any. That's just, uh, yeah, fuck. And it was great. Hey, I don't, uh, I don't go, I don't go to see a lot of stand-up comedy. I'm not sure why. I always think, is it one of those things because like, it's like a lot of athletes, athletes who have never played in or won the Super Bowl don't want to, like Mike Golick used to famously say he'll never go to the Super Bowl. He doesn't want to watch the Super Bowl live in person because he never went to the Super Bowl, never won a Super Bowl. Is that why I don't go see a lot of stand-up comedy? I don't know. I don't know if there's like a, I don't really think there's a big psychological thing. I think I just don't like, there's not much stand-up comedy that I really like. It has to be. Norm Macdonald. It has to be Jerry Seinfeld. It has to be Dave Chappelle. It has to be the the best of the best of the best, right? And uh, I just don't. Yeah, Jim Gaffigan, Brian Regan was great. We saw him at the New Hampshire the Casino, Hampton Casino, ten, twelve years ago. That stuff. Okay, and even even having seen all of that, I'm just like, eh. I don't care. I don't feel like going back to see it. You know, we've seen him. That's enough. Uh, And Norm MacDonald was one that I really never thought, like, oh, yeah, we should go see Norm MacDonald. And then uh, our good friend Stephanie texted me one day and said, hey, I want to surprise Joe uh, with a Norm MacDonald's coming to Boston. 
in January. And we're going to come out and, uh, you know, have a couple nights and spend a night or two in Boston. And uh, why don't we go out to – why don't you guys get tickets and we'll get tickets and, uh, and it'll, be, uh, it'll be a nice surprise, uh, you know, that you, we'll all get together. We'll have dinner, nice restaurant, go see Norm MacDonald. Like, yeah, fuck yeah. That's a great idea. Let's do it. And so we, we went to a nice uh, – some little Italian – well, some very huge Italian place. Had a nice, uh, had a nice dinner had some drinks, and then went to the Wilbur and saw Norm Macdonald, and he was filming. You can see the show. It's on Netflix. It's the, uh, whatever, the, the, the title is like Hitler, and I, I don't remember what the rest of the title is. <laughs> if you search Norm Macdonald on Netflix and you get this comedy special that says Hitler, that has, that has Hitler's name in it, that's the one. And uh, it was, that was, he taped that comedy special, in Boston that night, so we got to be there not just to see Norm Macdonald do stand up, but just to see uh, you know the taping of that special. So that's great. I can go on Netflix and watch the watch that special anytime I want. And it was it was it was Norm Macdonald. Of course, it was great. It was hilarious. Uh, so and he did you know God he had that YouTube show like seven eight years ago that was just so so funny, so wonderfully funny. And I guess my understanding is that Netflix made him. They they pulled it off YouTube once he uh, signed the deal with Netflix, which is really. Uh, hopefully, it'll come. You know, now that he's gone, like okay, just put it all back up there. But I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it is back on YouTube. I just haven't really looked. Uh, in any event, that's that's such a fucking tragedy. Um, I'm jumping all over the place. Last night, Dark Side of the Ring came back with the rest of the the season or the season premiere or the mid second half of the season premiere I don't really know and Jesus Christ it was I have been waiting for this episode for a long time even a, a year ago or a year and a half ago uh, when Vice and Dark Side of the Ring on Twitter sent it, put a tweet out asking wrestling fans hey what would you like to see on the next season of Vice and my first I responded and said, oh, my God, the plane ride from hell. You have to do something on that. And I also said, "You should." I would love to see something on The Ultimate Warrior. I'd love to see something about Brian Pillman. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what else I had, uh, I had put in my tweet. I guess I somewhere I could go way back and find it. But I, I know that Plane Ride from Hell, Ultimate Warrior, and Brian Pillman were on the top of that list. And sure enough, three of the episodes of this uh, of this season, because it wasn't just me, it was like everybody, have been, you know, they did a feature, they did an episode on The Ultimate Warrior, they did an episode on Brian Pillman, and now, last night, they did an episode on The Plane Ride from Hell, and I was so pumped for it, because for me, in my head, I have this almost cartoonish version of what happened on that plane, 2002 this is this is almost 20 years ago you name it boy every major superstar at the time every major wrestler in wwf were coming back from a european tour they have a, a private chartered plane vince mcmahon himself is on this plane which is what makes it even crazier is that that asshole was just up in the front of the plane sending jim ross who's the, the commentator and the head of talent relations just sending jim ross back to to wrangle the boys, so to speak. Vince and his wife, Linda, and Jim Ross are in the front of the plane. And the fact that this 
all went down with Vince on the plane is insane to me. Uh, so they had this nice private jet to take them to and from Europe for the European tour, Germany and other places. And coming back, you know, there was no problems going over. Coming back, they were stuck uh, stuck on the tarmac for about seven hours. And instead of the little, you know, mini bottles of, of booze and stuff that they have on a commercial plane, they have a drink cart that has full regular size bottles of liquor and the wrestlers they had they had time to kill so they so they sat there and they drank they they emptied out this cart every every bottle of booze they fucking hammered that shit down then they ordered another cart of full-sized liquor bottles finished that off and then went through a third uh all before that seven hour delay was over and then they took off and then of course what really the 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 action that took place was after takeoff. The drinking took place during that seven hours, and then the the craziness is what happened is what ensued during the flight over the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> and I remember reading about it at the time and cracking up. And Joe and I would talk about it, and we would we said that's the funniest thing I've ever heard because like you're hearing about like Ric Flair is is naked with his with his wrestling robes on and he's woo strutting styling and profiling walking up and down the aisle with his stupid uh wrestling robe and uh <laughs> and you're saying like oh my god that's ridiculous this old man is just naked walking up and down the aisle and then uh one of the wrestlers x-pac cut uh michael p.s hayes who is a is a real piece of shit uh he's been employed with the wwf for like 25 years I don't know why, because he's just, you know, he's just an old racist douchebag who doesn't understand. If it's something that he doesn't understand, it doesn't. It, that's why if you watch the current product, you can thank people like Michael Hayes, who were popular in the 70s and don't understand what people like today. And they're in charge of putting a product out for people to consume. Anyway, whatever. Uh, X-Pac cut his legendary ponytail, which I think is great. Um and, you know, some, you know, there's some sort of hijinks like that that's kind of, you know, relatively harmless. And then we heard that, like, Goldust was on the on the PA system singing to his ex-wife, Terry, who was an on-screen character, who was also on the plane. And I thought, oh, that's, I, I'm picturing him dressed as in the Goldust makeup. And it just, to me, it all just sounds like something you would see on a, on a wrestling show. Wrestlers, like, with their wrestling gear... You know, commandeering the PA system and singing, dancing around, uh, you know, allegedly with no clothes on underneath, just in their in their robe, uh, and then uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, Hennig, who had just returned to the WWF earlier that year, and was kind of you know partnered up with Brock Lesnar, who was brand new. He was a rookie, and you know they were traveling together. Kurt Henning took a handful of shaving cream and splatted it on Brock's head and then Brock Brock started chasing uh Kurt up and down up and down the aisle on the plane and then they got into a, a real a real wrestling match a, a, a takedown match where you know Brock's lifting up Kurt and Kurt's you know trying to trying to fight back and they're slamming each other up against the emergency door the emergency exit and and according to the flight attendant who was one of the people on the show last night, they're slamming each other into the fuselage, 
all this stuff. Rest, I mean, you know, and, and, and then you get to the end of the plane ride and there's like, there's syringes in the, in the seat pockets and there's fucking, there's puke everywhere. And it's just awful. Just, uh, wrestlers, especially the old wrestlers are just the worst. You really, more and more of this stuff comes out and you just realize, oh my God, wrestlers, they're all just these, these multi-million dollar pro athletes. They're all such pieces of crap. And, you know, in, in most sports, but in wrestling in particular, they're just, you know, don't meet your heroes <laughs> because they're, yeah, they're all just scumbags. And, and it's, and so, so my, my thoughts on this is like, okay, that's, it's silly. It seems ridiculous. Just wrestlers, you know, living the gimmick 24 seven, just being, you know, Ric Flair, just being woo, nature boy, you know, all the time. And it's like, God, that's so stupid, but it's so funny. And then you watch the episode last night of Dark Side of the Ring. And it's like, oh, oh no. And by the end of it, you're just sick to your stomach because this poor flight attendant is talking about, yeah, okay, Ric Flair got on the plane, was sweet talking with the ladies, very charming, very likable. And then, yeah, and then a short time later, the robes come off. And yes, he's strutting up and down. And I guess the thing that Ric Flair does is he does what's called the helicopter uh, because he's he's uh, endowed enough that he can, you know, he can make uh, little Nature Boy Jr. go around and around and around like a helicopter. And, the you know, the other wrestlers, the boys, got a real kick out of this. And it was always, you know, they always thought it was really funny. And, of course, they're fucking, they're shit-faced on, on booze and pills and whatever else. So they're probably, you know, they're probably clapping and hooting and hollering and all that stuff. But then, of course, what I, what what you didn't know too much about until last night uh, from this flight attendant uh, is that then he goes up, he goes back to the, you know, the back uh, serving area. And he kind of corners her. And he's he's doing his uh, he's doing his helicopter thing, and she's like, "No, please, please don't do that." And he just keeps doing it, and then he gets closer, and then he takes her hand, and he puts it on uh, on a little uh, little nature boy. He puts puts her hand on his dick. Let's I don't need to use fucking euphemisms here. Uh, sexually assault is sexually assaults her. In other words, um, you know. And then you think about it, and it's like, oh man, Jesus. The ESPN did a 30 for 30 on Ric Flair and, you know, playing kind of silly sort of cartoon music as he's talking about, even on that 30 for 30, he's talking about, you know, Sting, Sting, the other wrestler, Sting, who's a longtime rival of Ric Flair, talking about how on airplanes, yeah, he would just go around swinging his dick like a helicopter. Like, what the, what kind of fucking mental idiot are you? And look, Ric Flair, it's pretty well documented, the guy... He's, you know, he's a, he's a man child. He's 70 something years old and he's a big child. He always had, he's always wants to be, woo, nature boy. You know, even as an old man, like he could never stop partying, never stop uh, wheeling and dealing, widening and dining, woo, yeah, Space Mountain, all that shit. Cause he's, you know, in his head, he's the fucking, that's, that's reality to him. And it's like, well, yeah, of course he's had five wives or however many it's been fucking doing his, doing the Ric Flair bullshit thing, of course. And, 
but yeah, going back and watching that ESPN 30 for 30, it's like it's a cartoon recreation of Ric Flair on a plane swinging his dick around. And then even WWE, you can't find it anymore, surprise, surprise, but on WWE Network, they had this thing called uh, Story Time. And they would take, you know, wrestlers would tell story, like these five-minute stories. It was hosted, uh, I think Mean Gene was the narrator. And they would... Yeah, they would have the wrestlers doing the voiceovers, and the recreation of the story was in a cartoon. And there's an actual, you can't find it on the network, but you can find it on Twitter, a cartoon recreation, Ric Flair talking about, like, he's like, oh, yeah, I'd get on the plane, and uh, there'd be six or seven stewardesses, baby, yeah, ready to see the nature boy, saying, hey, daddy, come sit on my lap, baby, woo, and then I would get... And then they would get my robe out of the closet and they'd say, Nature Boy, is this your robe you wear to the ring? And I would say, Oh, you know it, baby. I'm it sound my Ric Flair sounds more like Dusty Rhodes. Apologies to Dusty Rhodes. May he rest in peace. Uh and and, and it's showing a cartoon reenactment of all this stuff. And it shows Ric Flair. He's like, the only thing is that Nature Boy put on the robe. But nothing else on, and, and, and you know, ha ha ha, and it's like do 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 do, like cartoon. It's a car. It's literally a cartoon with cartoon music talking about how Ric Flair would walk around naked, swinging his dick around in front of flight attendants. And of course, it's his version of the story. So they all, all seven flight attendants were just lined up, ready for the Nature Boy to get on the plane and say, "Oh, can I, can I have a turn, Ric Flair?" You know, because every woman in the world. That's their their heart's desire is they want to fuck Ric Flair. So if you wonder what's going on in his mind, God, you talk about you talk about delusion, delusional. This guy's getting on a plane thinking that every every woman in sight wants to bang him. And then of course you hear the story for the first time. You're actually hearing somebody else's side that's not Ric Flair, and it's like, oh yeah, this perverted old man uh, wearing a robe and swinging his dick like a helicopter cornered me on an airplane and I couldn't get away and he put my hand on his dick. And then it's like, oh, oh, it's not funny at all. He's just a piece of shit, which is not like a big shock. The big shock is Tommy Dreamer, who's another wrestler who was on that flight. Um, this doesn't absolve Ric Flair of anything. I mean, he's still the real scumbag in this scenario. But Tommy Dreamer is sitting there talking about like oh oh it's uh it's 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 a gag it's a joke you know it's just a joke relax and basically saying anyone who who finds this offensive or finds the sexual harassment uh doesn't understand that that's just the nature boy being the nature boy woo so yeah tommy dreamer you know i've never been a fan of his he's just like whatever he's a very very average not really interesting guy, but uh, you know, I'd say his career is over. What it, what was left of it is is done. Um, after that, I would imagine, but who knows? It's wrestling, so maybe you know he'll be world champion. Who knows? Uh, and then and then the other story that uh, you know, Ric Flair and Tommy Dreamer are getting a lot of the attention. Uh, the other story was was Terry Runnels, who uh, I mentioned was Gold Dust Dustin Dustin Rhodes' wife, ex wife who was on this trip, uh, was was doing backstage interviews and then got called into, uh, Brock Lesnar called her into the dressing room 
and he exposed himself to her, which of course she found appalling and and just no sold it as they say in wrestling, just you know didn't didn't have much of a reaction, just said okay, and then turned around and went back to her dressing room and then her ex husband gold dust came in and said, "Look, just just don't sell it no no sell you know don't just let it go, let it go." And, uh, yeah, it's like, okay. I mean, I've always hated Brock Lesnar because he seems like a legitimate piece of shit uh, in real life. I, you know, I don't, he's, I didn't find him particularly entertaining in 2002 when he first came to WWF. He was just an ugly guy who was a really good wrestler and had a, you know, was huge. Um, and now he's back and he's an ugly guy with a beard and a ponytail who I still don't want to see on my screen. But, uh. Yeah, I, it'd be okay with me if that was... The, I mean, look, he's got more money than I'm sure he knows what to do with. If his wrestling career came to an end today, he probably wouldn't care. He'd probably be relieved. And I wouldn't care either because I'm a fucking... And, you know, whatever. Not not my... Ric Flair, on the other hand, one of my favorites of all time. I've always loved the nature boy Ric Flair. So that's that's really shitty... I mean, who cares? Who cares? Oh, big deal. Like, a, a wrestler that I've loved since childhood ends up being every bit of the piece of shit that we all kind of assumed that he was. It's not like a... It's not a huge shock. But it's like, god damn. Is there anybody... <laughs> are there any wrestlers who aren't just giant pieces of shit? Because I'm starting to think no is the answer. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, that was very... Uh, yeah, just it's just heartbreaking listening to this uh, listening to this flight attendant giving her her account of everything that happened, and then Scott Hall, aka Razor Ramon. I mean, there's no no big surprises about him, uh, you know, being a being a piece of garbage. Uh, he was so fucking he was so fucking out of it on this plane ride. They thought he was dead. And uh, PJ Walker, aka Just Incredible, another another wrestler. Uh, put him in a wheelchair with sunglasses on and wheeled him, you know, weekend at Bernie's style, wheeled him out of the airport because they were <laughs> they didn't know if he was dead or not. And this fucking garbage person, Scott Hall, another one of my all-time favorites, Razor Ramon, uh, you know, the flight attendant is asking if, he, you know, it's an overnight flight and she's asking if he wants, uh, if he wants, she can get him some breakfast and he's, you know, grabs her shirt and rips her shirt open. Oh, but he was so out of it. He was so... He was so completely inebriated, he didn't even know what he was doing, and he has no recollection. Big fucking deal. Big fucking deal, man. That doesn't, that's, that doesn't actually make it better. <laughs> doesn't make it better or worse. It's just still like, okay, you fucking suck, dude. Uh, so, yeah, wrestlers all are terrible, uh, at least, the you know, a number of them. And, and then it's like, it's like, you know, the Undertaker was on this flight, and so was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And these guys, look, Undertaker and Steve Austin love to, love to drink uh, with the best of them. Undertaker, it's, it's funny because the Undertaker persona is basically dead, and Mark uh, Calloway, who was his real name, they've had documentaries just about him, like as a human being. And I was never, I've never been a big Undertaker fan. I like, I like the Undertaker in his recent years where he actually finally just became a, a, an entertaining wrestler. Cause in the nineties, it was just like a very long entrance 
and I would fast forward it, and then I would fast forward his match, and I would fast forward when he was talking, and I was never been an Undertaker. I, well, in 1990, when I was a little kid, I loved the Undertaker because he was just evil, and then, and then he just became boring, <laughs> and purple, purple and boring. He had like the purple hat instead of the black hat, and it was just I, I couldn't, I couldn't stand. It was just it bored me to tears. But he was known as the locker room leader because he was a veteran and he's a big dude and he's intimidating. And so if people would get out of line, Undertaker would set them straight. Except out of line is just whatever the Undertaker deems to be out of line, which you realize that the Undertaker thought it was disrespectful when the younger generation of wrestlers who are like my age and younger would come in and they had no interest in partying and boozing and drugs and women and stuff like that. He's like, oh, man, the wrestlers today, they have no respect for the business. All they do is sit backstage and play video games. Ah, the nerve. You mean to tell me they're not raping anybody and they're not putting pills in their body and mixing it with booze and drugs and then getting behind the wheel of a car and driving across the country to the next city? How disrespectful to the wrestling business. This this business is built on big man babies getting shit-faced and driving from town to town trashing hotels and sexually harassing women and being complete pieces of garbage. And, and that's, that's because they respect the business so much. You mean to tell me these young kids, all they do is wrestle and then learn how to get better at wrestling and then play video games in their off time? That is so disrespectful to wrestling. Yeah, Undertaker, you better set them straight. You better get them out there flinging their dicks around a flight attendant ASAP. So that's the other thing. It's like the Undertaker is this great locker room leader, and he sat there and did nothing to stop any of this bullshit from happening. So when they say locker room leader, it's when it's when something has been disrespected that might uh, you know that might get other people in trouble. It's a whole fucking ball of horseshit. And the Undertaker, even before any of this, I think the Undertaker is a piece of shit. Watching the documentaries about him, he just he just seems like a fucking asshole. Uh, he has like he has all these little unwritten rules and things that you need to do to respect the business. And if he doesn't like it, you're gonna pay the price. And that's such garbage. Go away. You fucking suck. Seriously. You're tall and you had cool music. There. Fucking Undertaker. Anyway. Uh, there was something else I was just about to say, but I, uh, who cares? Yeah. The great locker room lead. Oh, and then they talk about, oh, you know, Kurt Hennig, uh, Mr. Perfect. He was one of the great ribbers of all time. He, he, he always loved playing ribs on the boys, playing jokes and little pranks and things. And then it's like, oh, what, what were these great jokes? What were these great pranks? Oh, he would take a big handful of shaving cream and smack Brock Lesnar in the face with it. ha, 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 ha. That's so great. What a fucking great joke. It's awesome. You couldn't fall asleep on these plane rides because you'd wake up and your your eyebrows would be shaved off or there'd be a you'd have a turd mustache on your face. <laughs> That's just how the boys are with those classic ribs. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh man, they really respect the business. It's a good thing they're not just sitting there playing video games like disrespectful millennials. Ugh. And uh yeah. That's, that's, you know, you hear about, yeah, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, or, or, or Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, or some of these, some of these classic pranksters. And I used to think like, oh, that's so cool that they're just like fun loving guys and they, 
they pull little like pranks and things. That's that sounds so awesome. And then you read about what the pranks are, and it's just how many different ways can I leave my own feces or urine in somebody else's personal belongings? Those are the those are the classic gags, the classic jokes. Oh man, hey, this guy was such a great ribber. Oh, I tell you, one time, uh, so and so he was wrestling and he wore a cowboy hat, right? He wore one of those big ten gallon hats, and uh, he was mouthing off about something, and he went to take a piss, and then when he came back. He put the hat on, and it was filled to the brim with urine. And it's just a classic rib. What a great rib! And then uh, one time, this other guy uh, was disrespect. He looked at somebody funny, uh, and then he went to he went to uh, he went to go have his match. And while he was out having his match, uh, Kurt Henning uh, dropped his trousers and took a giant dump in his duffel bag all over his clothes and his belongings and pictures of his family. It's so funny. He's such a great ribber. I miss you, Kurt Henning. I miss you, buddy. Oh, I wish you were still here pulling those classic pranks. <laughs> yeah, fuck. <laughs> it's fun to grow old and realize that everything you thought was like, you thought things were a certain way and everybody's just like decent and good and fun and fun loving. And they're all just, they're all just so fucking shitty. Oh, man. All right, I got to go. This has been a... What is this? Oh, fuck off. I'm not... Oh, All right, work-related stuff. I work work with a lot of great people and one imbecile. Uh, Anyway, it's been an hour and 45 minutes. (laughs) Time to go. Time to get back to it. Uh, Yeah, have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, Maybe I'll have some more podcasting this weekend. I don't know. I've kind of... I've kind of just brain dumped for an hour and 45 minutes without, uh, without inhaling or exhaling. I feel like my, my ears are about to pop from all this talking. Have a great day. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the football games. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, that's it. Go to birthdayboyshop.com. Get some merch. And uh, we'll talk to you next time right here on the Birthday Boy Podcast. Later, Gators.